Today's scripture reading is from the book of Judges, chapter 16, verses 25 to 30. And when their hearts were merry, they said, Call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there, and on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, And he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. This is the word of the Lord. In preparing this week's message, uh, we were looking at the story of Samson. We started it last week, and we we finished his story in the book of Judges. So if you want, you can go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of Judges. It's in the Old Testament. We're looking at chapter 16 tonight. In preparing for this week's message, we we see that, uh, we're going to see anyway, that strength comes only from the Lord. And, And it caused me to think in regard of of weaknesses and strength, Uh, the weaknesses where we feel hopeless and the strengths and when we're relying on our own strength instead of the strength that comes from God. And it reminded me of an instance in my life where that happened in the course of about 20 minutes. Uh, It was my first time to to play in a, a university college golf tournament. I had walked onto the team mainly because I wanted to play a lot of golf for free. And that scheme worked. I got to play a lot of golf all the time for free, and I qualified to play in one of the tournaments. And I was so nervous because even though it was a small university, at the first tee, there's always a crowd of people to watch everyone tee off for the first time, and they're announced. And I remember being announced and walking out there, and my hands shaking as I put the ball on the tee into the ground. And I was calling out to God, even though I wasn't walking close to him in that moment, because I did not want to be embarrassed and miss the ball. That was my worst fear. So I get up there, and I line up, and I go through the routine, and I hit the ball, and I smashed it. It was fantastic. It went close to 350 yards. It almost landed on the green. It was a par four. For those of you who know golf, that's a great shot. People started clapping. I almost started clapping, but you don't do that. You don't clap for yourself. I was like, man, that was a good shot right there. So I go, and I walk to it. I'm feeling strong. I'm like, thank you, Lord, for protecting me in that moment. And I I chip it up onto the green. I make a great putt. I birdie the hole. I'm one under. It's great. I go to the next hole, and my strength left me. And it's a par five, and I get ready. I do the same thing, and I'm like, all right, this is going to go well. And I get up, and I hit it, and it goes straight and then starts curving hard to the left. I hooked it out of bounds, which is bad because you have to hit the ball from the same spot again. That was embarrassing. 
I went from hero to zero. So I have to put another ball on the ground, and I do the same exact thing. <laughs> Two in a row, out of bounds, and I'm like, this is embarrassing. So now I'm kind of mad, embarrassed, and just all kinds of emotions. I'm, I'm hopeless. I'm like, all right, just hit the ball. And I hit it, and I like hit trees and stuff. I made a 12 on the hole. So my glory was short-lived. I went from having strength that no one could match because I hit it further than any, or farther than anyone else uh, on the first tee. And then I went to, I, I couldn't even hit the ball. I went from strength to weakness so quickly. Now, those, that's a, an easy thing. It didn't really cause a lot of damage except to my pride. But we do the same thing in life where we find strength and joy in the good things that we do. But then, and so we feel great and prideful about ourselves. In the next moment, moment, our actions aren't as good, and then we feel hopeless and worthless. And I wanted to walk off of that golf course and just hide in shame. And I didn't even know the people I was playing with. We do the same thing in life where we do well, we feel good, we do poorly, we feel bad. And that is an indication that we're finding value and worth in something other than God. Because while we may go through the peaks and valleys of life, God never leaves us hopeless, and he never causes us to boast in ourselves. Forgetting God is a recurring theme throughout the book of Judges, and we see Samson forget God. I want to share with you three dangers of forgetting God. We see this in Samson's life. We see it before him in the book with the nation of Israel, and now we see it in the individual of Samson right now. Three dangers from Samson. So you can join me in the book of Judges if you want. The first danger is this, if you want to take notes. The first danger of forgetting that strength comes from the Lord is being self-sufficient. When we forget that strength comes only from the Lord, we start to become self-sufficient. We think that our lives are powered somehow by our own strength. Success is a very dangerous temptation. Failure not only leads to temptation, but success causes us to think, you know what, I'm really good at what I do. Maybe I don't need anyone's help after all. Unintentionally, even, we start to rely on our own strengths and skills, and that's what happened to Samson. Last week, we saw that Samson had the vow of the Nazarite, which meant he was not supposed to touch anything dead. Uh, he was not supposed to uh, drink anything that had to do with the, uh, the vine, the grape, so he couldn't have grape juice or alcohol or, or other things. There were other provisions that were on him. But we saw him continue to break this vow repeatedly. But he had no consequences for it. For, for instance, he was betrothed to a woman from another faith. Even though his parents said, Samson, shouldn't you find someone of like faith to marry instead of the enemy, the Philistines? Why would you do that? But he chose to do it anyway, and there was no result uh, or no consequence for him doing that. His strength that was unmatched by anyone else remained upon him. We saw that he touched dead animals and had no consequence for those actions as well. The strength of the Lord remained on him. We saw that he caused his mother and father, not only did he make himself unclean, but he made them unclean without them knowing. He was deceptive, and there was no consequence for him. The strength of the Lord remained upon him. Over and over, Samson did what he saw fit to do in his eyes. Whatever he decided was right, Samson did, and his strength remained. 
So naturally, he became more daring and more daring. Look with me in Judges 16, verses 1 through 3. The scriptures read, Samson went to Gaza, and there he saw a prostitute, and he went in to her. The Gazites were told, Samson has come here. And they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, Let us wait until the light of the morning, then we will kill Samson. But Samson lay till midnight. And at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts, and he pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders, and he carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. He's a pretty strong fellow, right? No matter what he did, the strength of the Lord remained. He was more daring and more daring, and eventually you would think it would catch up to him. But no matter what he did, he always got out of the situation. His strength never left him. He went into the enemy capital, had sex with a prostitute, knew the crowds were around them, and he did it for the thrill of it. And he got away. I think you and I feel like Samson sometimes. I pick up iron gates all the time. Not really, but in other ways, I think we can identify very clearly with him. Christians are called to live differently in this world. There are regulations, there are rules, there are standards and guidelines that God has for us as followers of Christ. For example, money. God has guidelines and rules on how we are to relate to money. Sex. God has rules and guidelines on how we are to enjoy the blessing of sex. Gossip. He says, don't do it. Have you ever seen others live in line with the world? Doing the things that God says are not best for us and see them succeed and feel like, what the heck? Why, why are they continuing as if they're happy? Why do they look so successful? And we find ourselves becoming bitter towards God because we feel like He's keeping us from having that joy in our lives. I know you say you don't want me to do this, but I see others doing that, and they look really happy, and I feel like I'm suffering over here. Well, Samson seemed to hate his vow of the Nazarite. And he violated it, and he violated it, and he violated it. He didn't like it. I think we can feel like that sometimes. But there's something else he did with this vow. He took advantage of his vow as well. So he realized that he could get away with things, and the strength of the Lord remained. So he just kept doing more and more and more. His sins were escalating. We should pay attention to this because... We can do the same thing with God's grace. Till we say, well, I really screwed up right there. I made a huge mistake. Praise God for his grace. There seems to be no consequences for it. Hmm, maybe I've discovered a pattern here. 
I can do whatever I want to do and then just go to the altar and tell God, I'm sorry, I really didn't mean to do that, and he'll forgive me. God's grace is overly abundant. It outweighs every sin that you've ever committed. But it's not a license to go and do whatever we want and expect to get away with it. When we mock the Lord's grace, he will eventually give us over to our desires and allow us to go into bondage to that sin. Samson was was self-sufficient. He realized, he thought, that he needed no one. God did not matter to him. His strength, he thought it was his own at this point. No matter what he did, it remained. Maybe even it wasn't just his own, but maybe he, this was my right because of the vow that was given to me. It's something that is owed to me. He lived in danger for the fun of it, but he didn't realize the true danger that he had. He didn't realize the true danger was forgetting God and thinking that he was self-sufficient. So that's the first danger in forgetting that strength comes from the Lord, the danger of believing you're self-sufficient. The second one is this, self-destructive. When we forget that strength comes from the Lord, we can become very self-destructive in our lives. Samson loved sex. Let's just say it. He loved sex. It's likely that his visit to the prostitute wasn't an isolated incident that happened to be recorded in the first verse of chapter 16. He loved the thrill of sex, the power that he felt in it, the control that he had. And then he met another woman, a woman that he loved, Delilah. This is not the one that has the radio show, okay, that makes you cry when you listen to it. I mean, other people cry. I don't cry. So in Judges chapter 16, verses 4 through 6, we see Samson meet Delilah. Look with me here. Chapter 4, or chapter 16, verse 4. After this, after his visit of escaping and carrying the gate away, after this he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. And the lords, or the rulers of the Philistines, came up to her, and they said to her, Seduce him, Delilah, and see where his great strength lies, and by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him and humble him. And if you do this, we will give you 1,100 pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound bound so that one could subdue you. So we're about to see some self-destructive tendencies between Samson and Delilah. See, Delilah was very greedy. She was wanting power. She was wanting influence and wealth. That's why the 1,100 pieces of silver was tempting to her. She saw the opportunity to get this from Samson. So in her forgetting God way herself, she becomes self-destructive. So she asked him, what's your source of strength? Well, the first time he said, well, if you tie me with seven fresh cords, then I'll lose my strength. I won't be able to get out of it. So guess what she does? She ties him up that night, and the next morning she says, Samson, the Philistines are here. So he jumps up and he just snaps them like they're not even there. She's like, oh, Samson, you lied to me. Tell me why. 
or, or how we can, so, you know, you can be bound and lose your strength. So the second time, he says, well, actually, Delilah, it has to be new ropes that have never been used before, not just fresh. So if you time it with those that are new, I won't be able to break those. So guess what she does? She ties them up again. And the next morning, she says, Samson, wake up, the Philistines are here. And so he jumps up, and he snaps them as if they're not even there either. So now she's really sad. Not really. She acts really sad. She's like, Samson, you lied to me, honey. Why did you do that? Tell me why. And so he tells her again. He says, well, if you weave these seven locks of hair into a web, and then you fasten them with a pin, it, it takes away my power. So guess what she did? She, she wove them and, and, and fastened them and had them tied up again like that. And, and she, she woke him up the next morning. Samson, the Philistines are here. And so he jumps up and takes the, I don't know, the, the fastening out of his hair and floats his hair like that. No, he didn't, but, I, you know, I, I want to do that. I did that actually on Halloween when I wore the mullet. And uh, if you saw those pictures. So he does that for the third time and he escapes and she's really offended by this. And she starts to go for the heart this last time. She says, Samson, if you really love me, you'd tell me what your secret is. Some of us may have heard those words before from someone else. If you really love me, you would prove it in this way. Some of us may have told people that. Too often, I love you, when we say it, really means I need you to make myself feel like I am worth something. We use others in our relationships frequently. And we will continue to use others to make ourselves feel better until we find our worth and our value in something else. Until we find our worth and value in the love of God, we will not be able to truly love others in self-giving ways instead of self-destructive ways. Delilah, she really manipulated Samson. But before you start feeling too bad for him, let's talk about him for a second. You see, he fell for this trap because he was also needing something from Delilah. There's no doubt that he used his fake secrets to find more sexual favors from Delilah. That's the way self-destructive relationships operate. Lies upon lies are told so that you can get what you want from the other person. Samson wanted sex. He wanted that power and control and the, the daringness of, of seeing uh, her try to, to manipulate him. He fueled off of that. He enjoyed it. So he manipulated her with these secrets to get from her what he wanted. Delilah gave Samson what he wanted sexually in order to get what she wanted for her own advancement. They used each other to their own destruction. So she says that fourth time, if you really love me, Samson, you'll tell me what your secret is. And he tells her the truth, or what he believes to be the truth. He said, if you cut my hair, I'll lose my power. You know, they chose each other for the wrong reasons. They were using each other. And we do, or we see at least, that happening around us. We see guys choose a woman 
based on looks and sex instead of the character qualities of that woman. We see women choose money and status many times over the character qualities of a man. And it's likely that many of us are guilty of making that mistake on some level. So we shouldn't be too quick to look down upon Samson and Delilah because selfishness leads to self-destructive lifestyles. There's a danger in forgetting that strength comes from the Lord. The third one is this, self-sufficiency, self-destructive. The last one is being self-deceived is a danger of forgetting that strength comes from the Lord. We start believing what's not true. We're deceived. We think we know what truth is, but it's not true. God's grace has covered us in the past, and so we start to think, you know what? I'm invincible. It's okay for me to continue in this way. Our actions don't matter. I'll just continue to live as I used to do. We see Samson do this in chapter 16, verse 20. He was told her his secret, so guess what she did? She cut his hair that night, and the next morning she said, Samson, get up, the Philistines are here, and this is what he said. She said to him the next morning, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep, and he said, I will go out as at other times, and I will shake myself free. I'll just continue to do exactly what I have been doing my whole life. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. He was self-deceived. He had done all of his self-centered deeds, and the Lord's strength remained on him. He thought it was going to continue no matter what happened, but he was wrong. He really didn't believe that his vow and his hair was the source of his strength. He had come to think that this source of strength was just inherently his. It was upon him. He didn't know God's grace and mercy was the source of his strength. The Philistines were, on the other hand, they thought this strength was magical, that since they had cut his hair, that his vow was void. And legally, they were right. If that's where his strength had come from, his vow was broken by cutting of the hair because it says a razor could never touch his hair. And he did. So legally, they were right. The vow should have been voided. But they thought God would abandon him based upon his failures as well. But just like Samson, they did not know who God was either. God is a God of grace and mercy, and Samson couldn't see that. He thought it was something that he earned and it was his right. God is a God of grace and mercy, and the Philistines couldn't see that either because they feel like they had taken away the magic potion of his strength. God's love and his grace, thankfully, isn't dependent upon our outward ability and our obedience. But his grace and his mercy is given to those who trust in the faithfulness of Christ, who cry out to God for help. His strength comes to those who find their dependency and identity in the grace and mercy of God. The story continues. The Philistines grab Samson. They take him into captivity after Delilah had cut his hair. And they they gouged out his eyes. He was greatly humbled. Can you imagine... I can't imagine having the strength he had, just the ego, the power of that, to be the one who is all-powerful, 
and then all of a sudden you have no strength. You're at the mercy of your captives. He failed miserably. But check this out. The Bible says that Samson was a great man of faith. What? How did that happen? Look with me in Hebrews chapter 11. It says that he died a great man of faith. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32, it says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson. Now we've learned about Gideon, Barak, and Samson. Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, who were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to fight. This New Testament book is is looking at Samson, and it is calling him a great man of faith. So what happened to change the way they remembered this womanizing, prideful, arrogant, vengeful, murderer, and egotistical man What changed him from that to a man of great faith? Well, the process was he was humbled. His eyes were gouged out. He was forced to grind grain at a mill his last years of his life. He was brought out like an animal for the Philistines to mock and to find entertainment in his humiliation. He was weak. He was dependent on others for many things in his life. And the one thing he was certain about, the strength that was on him, was gone. One day, he was taken to the temple. The Philistines had a false god named Dagon. And they had a temple for him. And they were worshiping him. And they asked for Samson to be brought in so they could be entertained. As he's being led in there, the young man who's carrying him or guiding him in is is asked by Samson. He says, can you put me next to the two pillars of the temple that are, that are holding it up, that's supporting the structure and being no threat to anyone whatsoever, this blind, weak semblance of a man is put in between these two pillars. At least, according to man's idea of what strength is, he is weak. But then Samson did something, and we should pay attention here. In humility and in faith, he prayed to the Lord. Last week, we saw a prayer that he made that was arrogant and demanding and assuming of God. But this one comes to God with reverence and humility and dependence and faith. Look with me in chapter 16, verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, please remember me. And please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. It's a quite different prayer than what we saw last week. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he 
bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his lifetime. His life ended with the death not only of himself, but of thousands of people. But his purpose was fulfilled, even though he failed miserably throughout his life. God used all of his failures throughout his life in spite of his disobedience. God did not ordain him to go and to make these mistakes, but God in his sovereignty used those mistakes to cause the Philistines and the Israelites to hate one another because they were coexisting and life was just fine. So God stirred it up through all of this drama, like TNT drama. You know, it's on TNT. They know drama. And he caused them to come at odds with one another. Samson finished well. His purpose was to begin, not to finish. His purpose was to begin the deliverance of his people from the Philistines. Today we can look at the story of Samson and we can see that he made catastrophic mistakes in his life. We can find that there are times in our lives where we're going to try to be self-sufficient and not relying on God. We'll try to have relationships to where we'll bring actual self-destruction into our lives because we'll be manipulating people. And, and we can also see in our lives that, that we can be deceived by ourselves. What Samson needed was an understanding of God's grace. What we need is the same thing. We need a Savior. What we need is a who. We need Jesus. See, Jesus came for us, and he was not self-sufficient like Samson was. He prayed and he relied on the Father to give him strength to face his temptations, to face his doubters. He prayed for the Father to strengthen him as he went to face the angry crowds that dragged him to his crucifixion. Jesus was far from self-destructive. He, he did give up his life, and he died for our sins, but he was obedient to the Father. At the center of his life was God the Father. He gave himself up as a sacrifice. He didn't die as a result of his selfishness. His destruction wasn't of his own causes either. He faced the angriest of crowds and the worst of enemies, death, so that we would be freed from the destruction and hell. We also see that Jesus was not self-deceived. Through his reliance on the Father, he stayed crystal clear on his identity and his mission. He was so aware that he didn't fall for the desperate attempts of Satan to try and trick Jesus into using his status as the Son of God for his own selfish gain. Jesus stayed true to his Father in perfect obedience. I want to share with you one of the greatest passages of Scripture it's in Philippians chapter 2, verse 4 through 11. We see the glory of Christ in this wonderful passage. Paul is writing here, and he says, Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others, and have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, 
though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. And that means a thing to be taken advantage of, manipulated, to be used for your own glory. But instead of doing that, instead of pulling the trump card of, yeah, I'm the son of God, he actually emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, the Ancient of Days, every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. See, Jesus was thought to be weak when he went to the cross. It was over. His followers lost hope in him being the Messiah as he breathed his last breath. But that wasn't the end of the story. He did not stay dead. Even death could not hold him. He was resurrected by the strength and the power of God, never to face death again. And in raising him from the dead, the Lord has secured a resurrection for all who believe in Christ, who re- whose faith remain in him, and his faithfulness. You see, the weakness of Jesus going to the cross was not actually weakness. It was the greatest of strengths and acts of obedience ever known in the world. That is the kind of strength the Lord gives to us. I don't know where you are weak right now, but in Christ, you have the hope of a God who brings the dead to life. Listen. May God's strength be on you. You have hope. You have a resurrection hope. Let me affirm you by saying, I agree with you in saying and agreeing that you don't have the strength you need for your life. You don't have the strength you need to face your problems, but the Lord will give you a much greater strength that can conquer anything that you find yourself up against. I don't know, maybe you're here today and you feel like you're really strong but I don't want you to take credit for it. So I want to disturb you by saying you're not as strong as you think you are. You're going to face something in life that will beat you. It will best you. You will face something at some point that will conquer you. Any strengths or gifts that you are walking in and enjoying right now come from the one who gives strength. It is a blessing and a gift from God. Trusting in ourselves leads to pain, suffering, and hopelessness. Trusting in the Lord leads to strength, joy, and peace. I remember, like Samson, there was this guy, and he had made a lot of mistakes in life. In fact, so many mistakes, he started confessing things to me. It made me feel really awkward to be around him at first because I'm talking about it was some Samson-type stuff. I'm like, dang, that's bad. I didn't say that, but I thought it, and I'm telling you now. The person who had done all those things and had this horrible reputation came to faith in Christ. And God freed him from that. 
And now, when we look at that man and we remember him, we remember a great man of faith. A man who wept at the feet of Jesus. A man who was transformed. A man I call a dear friend who has gone to be with the Lord, Sean Howell. I thought of him when I saw Samson and all the screw-ups he had. Like, man, Samson's terrible. <laughs> but the Bible said he was a great man of faith. I don't care what you've done in the past, whether it's the worst of the worst, God's grace is sufficient for you. And he wants to transform your life so that you would be called a great man or woman of God, not because of what you've done, but because of what Christ has done for you. And what that takes is placing your faith in him. Strength doesn't come from you having your act together. Strength comes by the grace and mercy of God. Find your strength in Christ today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are a strong, powerful God. You transform disobedient, rebellious hearts into hearts that are just melted by your grace to where we can sing the joys of your love instead of being crushed by the burdens of our sin. Thank you, Jesus, for the power, strength, joy, and forgiveness that you give to us. Thank you for the new life you give us. Thank you for the way you, by grace, redeemed Samson. And while he was far from perfect, Lord, you caused him to be faithful. For those of us who are here tonight and we are in desperate need of your strength because we feel weak, God, strengthen us. Strengthen us by your your presence. And for those of us here tonight who think we are fine on our own, on our own, disturb us. Do not allow us to fall for the lies of this world saying that we don't need you. Do great things for your glory through us. In Jesus' name, amen.